Welcome to Fresh Take, your favorite weekly podcast that delivers a healthy dose of information pertaining to healthy lifestyles, organic and sustainable agriculture, and numerous topics related to the environment. Thanks for tuning in. Our industry experts are here to provide you with a fresh take on topics that can help you optimize your lifestyle and well-being. Hi, this is Juan Carlos Rodriguez, and welcome everybody to our podcast, Fresh State. Today, we're very lucky to have Dr. Jessica Shea, Director of Science Programs for the Organic Center, and we'll be talking about organic agriculture and climate change. Um, Welcome, Jessica. Thanks so much for having me. Well, we're really uh, lucky to have you today. I know that you uh, have a lot of experience uh, in the field of research and working with the organic center, uh, looking at all sorts of different things and um, answering all sorts of questions regarding how organic agriculture can help the environment. And in this particular case, how you, you're looking at climate change. So would you mind sharing with our audience a little bit about yourself and how you got involved with the organic center? Yeah, sure. So I have been with the organic center for about eight years. Um, and my focus on organic started, whew, yikes, 20 years ago, <laughs> time flies. Mm-hmm. So I was the co-owner of this very small organic foods cooperative. And so I was all in on organic. I knew all about the benefits. You know, I remember one year um, I was visiting my family in Michigan and I went to this one of the, you know, big mega grocery stores over there. And it was right at the beginning of when organic was starting to break into mainstream. And I remember finding some organic broccoli and I was so excited because you just, you just didn't find organic very often outside of natural food stores back then. So I got this organic broccoli, I brought it up to pay for it. And the woman who was checking me out looked at it and kind of looked at me a little skeptically and said, does this stuff really taste better? And, (laughs) you know, I realized, wow, people have no idea what organic is or Mm -hmm. why they should buy it. Um, Yeah, sure. Sometimes it tastes better, but that's that, you know, didn't have any impact on why I was choosing organic. So at the time I was in college as an art major and I went back and started taking science classes so that I could better understand what science could or couldn't show us about the food that we eat and also how to communicate science to the public. And once I started taking science classes, I just fell in love with science. And I ended up going to graduate school at UC Berkeley and got my PhD in biology. So when this job came up, it was the absolute perfect fit for me because Mm -hmm. it combined my passion for organic with my skills at communicating and conducting science, along with creating a unified research goal among diverse stakeholders, because as you might have some personal experience with Mm -hmm. people in the organic sphere are passionate, Mm -hmm. but sometimes that means that they passionately disagree. So Mm -hmm. one of the things that I do is help create research coalitions among groups 
and people who have fundamentally different views of the world so that we can advance organic, not just despite those differences, but so that we can actually use those differences of opinion to build a stronger organic and leverage them to find creative, you know, creative ideas that are outside the box from your standard cookie cutter solution paths. Mm -hmm. So it's really fun. Mm -hmm. No, and, and as you said, and yes, I can relate to your story. Uh, I myself have been in places either at supermarkets and, you know, if I'm buying uh, organic spinach or organic vegetables, uh, other vegetables or fruits, um, sometimes people will ask, oh, does that taste better? Uh, and sometimes my answer can be, well, to me it does, right? Uh, or maybe just start having a conversation about organic in general, which you know leads us to our first topic of conversation uh, on today's episode is that your everyday consumer may not really think about the definition of you know organic agriculture, which we know is a uh, ecological production management system that promotes and enhances, enhances biodiversity, you know, in biological cycles, in soil biological activity. Um, and then, of course, it's based on minimal use of uh, on-farm inputs and management practices, hoping that by doing that, uh, farmers uh, and those people that grow our food can restore and maintain, enhance an ecological harmony. And that, that was the definition. I don't think I have it memorized, but that's kind of like, you know, the definition that we, uh, those of us that work in uh, organic agriculture know about the system. But I guess the question is, does it really make any difference in, you know, the discussion of climate change? Right. Yeah. And, you know, what I found when it comes to talking about what organic means with people is so many people focus on what organic isn't, you know, mm -hmm. organic mm -hmm. means no GMOs, no synthetic toxins you know, synthetic toxic fertilizer or pesticides, um, no antibiotics, no growth hormones, no artificial colors, flavors, preservatives, no sewage sludge or ionizing radiation, all these no's. But one thing to keep in mind is that there's a lot more to organic about what organic is. Mm -hmm. Like, Organic farmers have to prove that they're maintaining and enhancing soil health. They have to show that they're protecting water quality and maintaining biodiversity. And so it's kind of this combination of what organic is and what it isn't that comes together into this synergistic system that has these very real impacts on a lot of environmental issues. And climate change is one that's really been getting a lot of attention lately because all of these practices that organic farmers have to take to enhance the natural ecosystem so that they can get a good yield also result in a lot of benefits when it comes to climate mitigation. Absolutely. And, and I'm so glad that you touched on the fact that uh, it is more than just avoiding, you know, pesticides and you know, synthetic fertilizers and things like that. Years ago, and it is a story that I like telling people sometimes, I used to manage a farmer's market here in Gainesville, uh, in Florida, where we live. And then one time, a particular person was interested in bringing blueberries to the to the market. And, and he indicated that he 
had quite a bilberries that he really wanted to sell and it was his farm long story short he showed up and then i did not realize because he did not tell me over the phone that he claimed that those blueberries were organic he had a sign and it said organic blueberries on them and so i, I asked him i said who is your certifier thinking that maybe he was certified organic and he just you know had not mentioned it during our conversation um he wasn't certified and in fact, didn't really know a whole lot about organic, except that he said, well, I just don't really do a whole lot. You know, this is a farm that I'm, you know, that I just recently bought and it's kind of a hobby. So um, I'm just not, I don't spray it. I don't fertilize. I don't do anything. I just let the blueberries grow and then I'm not harvesting them. So I've had a lot of those conversations with a lot of uh, even farmers sometimes who just says, that they're not doing anything, therefore they're organic, right? And that's not what you know. You and I know is organic. It is a holistic approach, and it is a lot of the things that we're discussing, and that has an impact on climate change. And I think that's very important for us to continue to make people aware of farmers and and those people that are also uh, interested in in reducing the impacts of climate change. And that, in a way, gets us to how then, if we're talking about one of the sort of hottest topics of conversation, which is the, uh, you know, the greenhouse gas emissions that you know, everybody's worried about and how you know, human activity contributes to those emissions. What is it about our system, organic systems, that really can you know, make an impact? Well, one of the things that I love that you just said was the complexity of practices that organic farmers have to enact to be organic. And so I think that that complexity, all those multitude of techniques that organic farmers have to put into place has a synergistic impact on all of the environmental benefits, but especially when it comes to climate change mitigation, especially because when you're looking at climate change, there's so many different parts of the puzzle. So, you know, I kind of break it apart into two ways to either be part of the problem or a part of the solution. So the first one is what you mentioned by increasing or decreasing greenhouse gas emissions. And then the second one is by either releasing or sequestering carbon into the soil. So when it comes to greenhouse gases, especially greenhouse gas releases, that can either be direct greenhouse gas release. So um, those are greenhouse gases that are released on the farm. So things like burning fossil fuels by farm equipment, you know, like tractors and irrigation mm -hmm. pumps, um, methane release from livestock and livestock waste. And one of the biggest culprits is nitrous oxide release. Mm -hmm from excessive synthetic nitrogen application. And because organic avoids the use of synthetic nitrogen, it cuts down dramatically on that direct source of emission. And then farms also have what are called indirect emissions that are released off the farm. And one of the biggest indirect sources of greenhouse gas emissions is fossil fuel use for making and transporting on-farm inputs, especially synthetic fertilizer, mm -hmm. because the industrial factory process that's used to make that fertilizer, the Haber-Bosch process, 
needs a source of hydrogen atoms. And that source is typically natural gas or methane. So it's not just that it uses a lot of energy to operate a fertilizer manufacturing plant, which it does, but it's also that the actual chemical reaction used to make fertilizer requires fossil fuel inputs. And again, it's kind of a theme, organic doesn't use synthetic chemicals like fertilizers. So it takes the biggest way that agriculture contributes to climate change out of the equation. Yeah, precisely. And, and, and that is the one thing that, uh, as we've been saying, sometimes even farmers don't realize that by relying on a system that is a holistic system and that it's more than just avoiding. So we've taken it out of the equation, but then there's the, all the other things that we're using uh, when we're talking about organic farming practices that can, and, and you mentioned it, help our soils be more resilient to um, climate change. Um, carbon sequestration was one of the things that you mentioned as well. So there's a lot of things that I think it's important for us to consider when talking about that. And for the most part, I'm, I'm so glad that, that you mentioned fertilizers. That's the one thing that um, people don't always think about when we're talking about, you know, greenhouse gases. The CO2, I think, gets kind of the, the most sort of discussions when talking about it. And lately, also methane with, you know, cattle and beef production. So it is important that we're not just focusing on one, you know, particular system or input or applications. We, we really do have to approach all of them and approach them in the same way that we do organic, which is in a holistic matter. So it's going to take a lot of different things for us to really start, you know, making an impact. And then we also talk to a lot of people who are skeptics about organic agriculture. It's particularly when we're sort of discussing how it can benefit or impact addressing climate change problems. So there's a lot of myth, and I'm sure you've heard them. Um, what, what are some of the myths that, that you've heard? Because one of the ones that come to mind for me is that, you know, you can't feed the world with organic food. You just can't produce enough food to feed an entire world. How do you feel about that particular myth? So definitely, I have heard the myth of organic can't feed the world. And I kind of have a few opinions about it. So <laughs> first of all, the number one problem with feeding the world right now is food waste. So mm -hmm. it's not that we can't produce enough yield. Right. We are overproducing yield. But around 30% of that food that gets produced is either lost or wasted. And so there's a little bit of a nuance between food loss and food waste. Food loss more often happens at the field level. Food waste is kind of um, how you think about, you know, when you're, you have food at the grocery store level or in your um, refrigerator that goes bad. But either way, when you combine that, it's this enormous percentage of the food that we grow that gets lost every year. So focusing on that can really have a huge impact on how much food gets to the people who need it. Another thing that I think about when it comes to feeding the world is the studies that I've seen that look at this kind of have this hypothesis of what would happen if all of agriculture were to transition to organic, this you mm -hmm. know, beautiful vision of the future. But they do it in isolation. So they're thinking about, okay, 
if all of a certain location went organic, what would it look like? But they're not taking into account that a lot of other things would probably change as more people transition to organic. So one of the things I mentioned was food waste. There would probably be less food waste, more um, direct to consumer, local economies. Another thing that would probably change is consumer eating habits. There would be more vegetables consumed, more um, plant-based proteins. And as those consumer preferences and dietary changes take place, our ability to produce food will also shift because we can produce so many more vegetables than we can produce meat. So as that shifts, even just slightly, you're going to see a big shift in um, the amount of food that's produced and the ability to feed our growing population. And I am by no means trying to advocate for all vegetarian diets for everyone. I'm just saying that tiny shifts, for example, eating slightly less of the unsustainably produced CAFO meat and eating a little bit more of the organic meat would have huge implications for the amount of food that we can produce. No, And, and I think you, you hit on a point that I uh, regularly discuss with people is that these um, habit changes, people, when they start changing their diet, and you make that habit change, it starts to really affect the rest of your habits and things that, that you do. You start, like you said, feeling better. Maybe you start walking. You're not riding cars uh, as much or your car as much. Or maybe you're riding a bike. You're doing all of these other things that start maybe adding up to some of the things that we discuss when we talk about climate change, you know, transportation and, and other things. So that, that is very interesting. And I maybe would tend to agree with you. The other thing... Uh, when you hear somebody tell you, uh, well, you know, there's just, you know, not research to support that claim or even say, well, there's no one doing research on that. Um, so how do you feel about those statements? I feel like I need to be doing a better job of communicating <laughs> what research is getting done because over the last decade, there has been an explosion of research on organic. Mm -hmm. And that kind of brings us back to one of the things you were talking about when it comes to the connection between feeding the world mm -hmm. and climate change is that a lot of people, when they think about the research that gets done, they think about what we need to feed our growing population, they're thinking immediately. So they're thinking about here's what needs to happen now rather than thinking long-term. Mm -hmm. And as we look towards the future, especially with climate change, along with all the other environmental disasters gaining speed, we can't just think about how to increase yield right now we have to think about how we can take care of our ecosystem so that in 10, 50, 100 years, we can still grow food. And that's one of the things where a lot of the research around organic points to is that if you're thinking about food security for feeding the world, you really have to take a long-term approach. You have to think about what you can do now to build your soil so that in 50 years, the soil isn't going to be completely devoid of nutrients and you won't be able to grow plants. What you need to do now 
so that in 50 years, we still have pollinators to pollinate our plants. Mm -hmm. And increasingly urgently, what we need to do now, so that in 50 years, climate change hasn't escalated to a point where none of our crops can grow or flower or produce fruits Mm -hmm. because the climate has changed so much and we start experiencing more and more extreme weather events. So that's another thing that I talk about that's at this confluences of both feeding the world and um, climate change is we have to think long-term and organic is not just producing higher and higher yields right now. It's also stewarding the land so that we will continue to be able to grow food down the line. Right. And and with with a lot of those solutions and trying to feed people, what is going to be required is for more of the private and public sector to invest in research, in educating, in supporting uh, these programs, supporting farmers. It does take not just those of us who work for organizations that are involved in organic, uh, whether it be education or research, but more and more consumers even, because I think the more and more people buy into this, the more and more companies and farmers and people are going to see that they can invest in in more land and in more organic products being available to, to everyone. Exactly. And I'll also mention, so you were talking about myths. And one of the other myths that I hear um, around organic is about its ability to sequester carbon. Mm -hmm. So first of all, there's so much evidence out there that shows that organic is better at, on average, sequestering carbon than um, your average conventional operation. And actually, the Organic Center did a study about this where we looked at farming operations from across the United States. I think we had 48 states involved. Um, We took over a thousand measurements and we compared organic to conventional, taking all the noise into account, taking into account, you know, different cropping systems, different soils, different, um, different methods that are used on different farms. And what we found is even with all that noise, organics, still had consistently higher levels of carbon sequestration in the soil, Mm -hmm. um, which is really important because there's this other myth out there that because organic uses tillage as a way to control weeds sometimes, that prevents it from being as good at sequestering carbon as conventional operations that are no-till. And what's interesting is that if you look at data from the USDA National Agricultural Statistics Service, Mm -hmm. organic and conventional agriculture actually use conservation tillage practices at about the same same. rate. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's around 40%. So that common refrain you hear that all organic farmers till and most conventional don't is a fallacy. But What's super cool is that even when you play to the critics and look at what happens when you compare soil organic carbon in organic full till to conventional no-till, organic still ends up sequestering more carbon. Um, There's this really cool study that was done by USDA's Agricultural Research Service 
on their farming systems project, which is this experiment that was established back in 1996. So it gives these really long-term comparisons of organic to conventional cropping systems. And they compared soil organic carbon between organically managed plots that do use tillage and conventional no-till plots. And typically, studies that compare soil organic carbon sample at really shallow levels of the soil. But this study was a little different because it looked at carbon in the soil at intervals all the way down to a depth of a meter. And what they found was that in the first four to five centimeters of soil, the conventional no-till plots do indeed have higher levels of soil organic carbon than the organic full-till plots. But after about six centimeters, that trend completely reversed and the organic plots had more carbon all the way through to about 40 centimeters, after which they're kind of at the same level of carbon. And so when they summed up the total soil organic carbon in each system over the full depth of a meter, they found that soil organic carbon is still significantly greater in organic plots than conventional, even when you compare full tillage in organic to no-till in conventional. And that's because carbon in a no-till system mostly accumulates on the surface where those plant residues are deposited. But in an organic tillage system, those residues are actually worked down and buried into the soil. So there's greater soil carbon at deeper depths where it's more resilient to degradation. And so my point isn't to suggest that we shouldn't be promoting increased reduced tillage in organic systems for soil conservation. It's really just saying that the suite of soil fertility management practices used by organic farmers in combination with tillage still leads to greater increases in soil organic carbon than no-till conventional. And, and absolutely. And this just, again, reminds uh, our listeners and part of the conversation we've been having, it is a holistic approach. You're not just either, you know, reducing or saying we're not going to use this particular input or this particular practice. It takes Again, a strategy. It takes all these various things that you've discussed. I, I really appreciate, uh, and I'm sure our listeners do too, all of the uh, information that you've shared with us today. How can um, people find out more about the Organic Center and some of the research that you all conduct? Because it, it is very, very interesting. And I think that maybe we should invite you more often to talk about some of these things in sort of the latest research that the Organic Center is conducting. Oh, I would be delighted to come on again. There's so much research happening on a weekly basis now <laughs> that um, it's really interesting stuff. And the Organic Center does research. We also communicate research that's happening around the world that's of interest to people who might be interested in organic. Mm -hmm. um, so if people want to find out more, you can visit our website, organic-center.org. We publish summaries of scientific studies, you know, multiple times a week. And we kind of take these jargon filled studies, break them down and communicate them in language that everyone can understand. Mm -hmm. So it's if you want to see all of the research happening, we've got it all on our website. We also have recipes where people can learn about the science behind the ingredients they're using. So mm -hmm. for those of you who might not want to sit down and nerd out with a bunch of studies one after another, we also have a lot of really fun recipes 
mm-hmm. that are um, family friendly. And then we have little bites of science, I'll say, that mm-hmm. are included in those recipes. Mm-hmm. Um, we also have a very active social media presence. So you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Very cool. Thank you so much, Jessica, for joining us in our Fresh Steak podcast today. We certainly want to have you back and provide us with more information about the work that the Organic Center is doing and, and a lot of the really interesting and cool research that you guys do. Thank you so much for being with us today. My pleasure. It was a lot of fun. And to all our listeners, thank you so much for listening. Thank you guys for listening to today's episode. I hope you guys enjoyed the conversation as much as we did. As many of you already know, FOG is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization, which means we need your help to keep all of our content free to the public. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation today. We would really appreciate your support. 